in today's Trouble with the Snap, we will be recapping a very exciting week six, discussing Miami and the Mario Cristobal debacle that happened on Saturday. And then we will be talking about the University of Texas intramural soccer game that I attended and some potential future endeavors for myself in my coaching career. Roll the intro. Nick Saban, and in 2003, the Tigers captured the BCS. Michigan State Stalin wants Dixon and he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable! Hello everybody, welcome back to Trouble with the Snap. As always, my name is Colton Deutsch, joined by my colleague and academic, athletic, and paintball weapon down at the Texas A&M University and College Station, Will Shemansky. Will, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, boss. How about yourself? As well as you can after a loss, but spirits spirits are high. That's good. That's good. Um, I wish I could say the same, but, you know, I, I am also recovering from a loss, and I have a huge week of school coming up this weekend – or this this week. So um, it's, it's going through a bit of a rough patch down in College Station, but ultimately we will we will persevere and – Rock on. Um, also, I, I should certainly address the elephant in the room. I apologize for my microphone quality. Um, this past weekend at AM, we had our fall break where we got Monday and Tuesday off instead of having the first Monday and Tuesday off of Thanksgiving week. So I thought that was kind of dumb. But anyways, I'm currently still at home from fall break, um, and I don't have my usual setup. So I'm, I'm bound to using my phone microphone. So I hope it sounds okay and not too harsh. Um, but for our next episode, I will be back to normal. So I apologize for that. It's all good. We have to, we have to push forward. I didn't know that, look, no offense to Texas A&M, but you guys seem kind of soft for having a fall break. I mean, we're just pushing through, chugging along. You know, so it's funny you say that because I'm actually not in favor of a fall break. I, I mean, of course, it was nice to have two days off right now, but I would much rather have the entire week of Thanksgiving off instead of only having two to three days, whatever it is. I'd rather have the full week and just, you know, get it over with now and enjoy that entire week off in November. But, you know, it's just how the cookie crumbles and it is what it is. Yeah, we have the we have all Thanksgiving off, but we're just pushing through the fall. But I don't know, ACL coming up, I just – couldn't care less. I'm all about football. For sure. Football guy right here. I know a little bit about ball. Certified ball knower Colton Deutsch here? One could say. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, speaking of ball, do you want to jump into what, just, what we all just witnessed this past weekend? Yeah, let's do it. There was a lot going on. I'll, uh, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I'll lead us off with... The Ohio State taking down the undefeated Maryland Terps 37-17. to This game was pretty close for a while, but Ohio State was able to pull away there late third and then throughout the fourth quarter for a 20-point win. Good showing there from Marvin Harrison Jr. And it really seems like the whole Big Ten is just going to come down to the games between Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Yeah, no, I, I totally see that. I agree with you. Um, all right, I'm going to jump in a little bit of SEC ball a little bit real quick, if that's all right with you. Um, LSU over Missouri, 49-39 in Columbia. Man, this was a game that Missouri should have probably put in the bag. Um, Missouri definitely, I feel like, in my opinion, was the better team on Saturday. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, it was LSU and Jaden Daniels who came away with the win. Um, Colton, I'll just go out and say it right now. I feel like it's pretty obvious, but Luther Burden, without a doubt, is the best receiver in the entire SEC. Like, just straight up, that dude can absolutely ball. Uh, week in and week out, he's always making highlight real plays, always keeping te- always keeping his Missouri Tigers in games or, you know, adding on to a lead. Um, 
but that dude is completely legit. And he certainly, without a doubt in my mind, is the best receiver in the conference. Um, and certainly one of the best receivers in the country. But anyways, um, as I was saying, this definitely feels like a game that Missouri, that Missouri should have ultimately won. You know, they had um, the lead for the vast majority of the game until that fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, it sucks because they were coming into this game undefeated and, you know, looking to actually make some real some real noise in the SEC East this, this, uh, this season. But, um, you know, taking their first loss of the season, it's certainly, you know, not Armageddon time at all by any means. Um, for Missouri, but it still definitely stings when you have the lead for the majority and you can't hang on in the end. Um, all in all, I still see Missouri bouncing back pretty, pretty, pretty strong. Um, no big deal there. Um, and for LSU, uh, it was a great win for them. You know, still, I feel like they're still trying to find their footing a little bit this season and truly just see what type of team they have because it's been a really up and down season up to this point. Um, so it was certainly a great win for them. Um, and definitely a bit of a momentum builder uh, going into the true meat and potatoes of the SEC schedule. Yeah, I want to jump into this one too. I had a lot of fun watching this game, and this was just a classic shootout for Missouri. We talked about in the preview with Luther Bird and Theo Weiss being really good receivers. Mookie Cooper is also very explosive for them. Cody Schrader, their running back, ran for three touchdowns, I believe. And yeah, Brady Cook is slinging the ball around the field. But for LSU – kind of reminded me a lot of those Lincoln-Riley OU teams where they never had good defenses, but they would always seem to come up with one or two big plays in the clutch moments, and that's what happened. Harold Perkins had a pick, and then Major Burns had a pick six to seal the game. But, yeah, this was a backs-against-the-wall game for LSU. They were down by 15 at one point, and, yeah, Jaden Daniels is a stud. Obviously, I've watched him play a lot, but I had no idea that he was that fast. He took off on a QB draw for a – 45 or 50 yard touchdown or he turned on the jets and it was pretty surprising to see, but yeah, big bounce back for LSU and for them, they're just going to, we'll see, they're going to have to win out and beat Bam on the road. So, and we'll see how it goes with the Tigers, but big win for them in the battle of the Tigers. UCLA takes on Washington state 25 to 17 at the Rose bowl, kind of a struggle bus there for Washington state and Cam Ward. They turned the ball over, Two times, at least through the air, and then they had two fumbles as well. And, yeah, I mean, UCLA, we knew they had a good defense, but they played really, really well, and Washington State really didn't have anything. I mean, from the first play of the game, Cameron Ward was picked off, and he's had a great year, but 19 of 39 for 197, two picks is, is, is not what you want. Dante Moore struggled a bit, only 22 of 44 passing, but he really – was able to make some big plays when it counted. And all in all, this was a defensive win for the Bruins. So, yeah, I think you think about the Chip Kelly, some fast-paced offense, but there's a lot of defense being played out west there in Pasadena, the Rose Bowl. And, yeah, Florida State over Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's a bad team. Florida State's a good team. You want to see a team like Florida State take care of business. They run four over 200 yards for Trey Benson. And, yeah, a pretty dominant win there for the Knowles. North Carolina – has a big game against Miami upcoming this weekend, and they stay undefeated with a 40-7 to win over Syracuse. In the famous words of Caleb Presley, Drake May, he had a great game. It's kind of what you wanted to see. We mentioned last episode he hasn't been as sharp as you would have liked. He had a very, very good game, and Carolina got their star receiver. Transferred Tez Walker back. The NCAA ruled him eligible, and he was able to give it a go. So expecting some big things from the Tar Heels down the stretch. Yeah, this was a great game for North Carolina. Um, you know, kind of piggybacking of what you just said about Drake May, he hasn't looked as sharp up to this point in the season. Um, that all changed completely on Saturday. Drake May uh, completed 33 passes on 47 attempts for 442 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. So that's a pretty dang good stat line, pretty full. Obviously, you mentioned the big news coming out of out of Chapel Hill this, up, this past week. Um, Tez Walker had eligibility, so shout out to Tez. Um, let's see. I, I, I'm sorry. I pulled up the stats right here. Um, Tez Walker caught six of his passes for 43 yards. Um, you know, obviously not a, a huge showing from him, but it's still great to see him out there. still producing for this team. Um, all in all, this was a really just complete game for North Carolina. Uh, you know, you put up 40 on offense, you only give up seven. Um, I realize it's, it's a bit of a weaker uh, Syracuse team than what they'll face in the coming week against Miami, but still a conference win like this, um, huge win, just dominated, and 
yeah, just great job, great complete game all in all for North Carolina. Let's look at some more SEC ball. The Peaches were tasting good in Georgia on Saturday as Georgia smashes undefeated Kentucky 51-13. to I mentioned in the previous episode that I thought that maybe Georgia struggles weren't just there was a little sleepwalking and that they kind of have some real issues. Well, they did not show any of that on Saturday. And look, this is kind of what you wanted to see if you're a Georgia fan. You said you kind of are struggling a bit the last few weeks and you play an undefeated team. You can be pretty fired up and Georgia just completely smashed them. Devin Leary, Ray Davis, no one on Kentucky could do anything offensively. Carson Beck had a great game. And yeah, dominant from the Bulldogs. Yeah, so just like what I was saying about what we were saying about Drake May a moment ago, this was a huge come out party for Carson Beck and the Bulldogs. Uh, he threw, he completed twenty eight passes on thirty five attempts for three hundred eighty nine yards and four tutties. So, yeah, that's, that's a that's a great stat line all in all. Um, without a doubt, this was definitely be- Georgia's best game up to this point in the season. You know, they've kind of been up and down, as you mentioned just a moment ago. It kind of felt like they were sleepwalking through their schedule. Um, that was not the case at all, especially against a really good opponent up to this point and undefeated Kentucky going into this game. Um, I realized this game was between the hedges in Athens, but at the end of the day, you know, when you're the number one team in the country, uh, you expect to handle big games like this fairly easily. And that's exactly what they did. So shout out to Georgia for actually looking like the Georgia of the past that we've all come to know and love this past Saturday. I have a pretty big ACC matchup to talk about. Papa John Stadium was rocking us first year. Head coach Jeff Brom and his Louisville Cardinals take down Notre Dame 33-20, to improved to 6-0 and on the year. Kind of a signature win there for Jeff Brom. Look for Notre Dame. We mentioned how their offense has just struggled lately. It doesn't seem like they have the receiver play needed for a veteran quarterback like Sam Hartman. And... Like Jack Plummer and Louisville had a pretty solid game offensively, but overall, this is all about the defense. They forced five turnovers. They just smothered Sam Hartman, and there was really nowhere to go for Notre Dame, and this game kind of felt like it was over in the mid-third quarter. And, yeah, Louisville 33-20, and it probably was a little bit worse than that. So, yeah, shout-out to Jeff Brom and the Cards. Enjoy this one. They got to storm the field. So, yeah, Louisville, see, can they make some noise in the ACC? I'm interested to see how it how it plays out. Yeah, so unlike the past two games we covered with great quarterback play, this was a bit of a disaster for Sam Hartman and the Notre Dame Fighting Iris. Uh, In this game, Sam Hartman threw three picks, and that seemed a little bit uncharacteristic as to what we've come to expect so far at this point for Notre Dame and Sam Hartman. Um, But at the end of the day, football is football, and that that tends to happen. Um, Shout-out to Louisville, though. Huge win. As you said, Papa John Stadium was absolutely electric. That atmosphere was incredible. Um, and ultimately they got the job done 33-20 in a pretty dominating fashion, feels like. As, um, and as you were saying, Louisville's defense was completely smothering, forcing five total turnovers. Um, yeah, just a great showing in front of the home crowd for Louisville um, against a really tough opponent. So shout out to the Cardinals. All right, hopping into the next game here, Ole Miss and Arkansas. Um so, of course, um, Lane Kiffin is Lane Kiffin. And, you know, it still feels like he is – I wouldn't, I don't want to say, necessarily want to say he's trying to find his footing a little bit as a head coach still in the SEC. But at the same time, you know, Ole Miss after this win, they're now 5-1 and 2-1 and one in the conference. Um, so it's, he, whatever he's doing this season, he's got the boys humming down there in Oxford. Uh, they pull off the win this past weekend over Arkansas 27-20 in Oxford. Um you know, decent game from Jackson Dart, 16 to 25 for 153 yards and a tutty. Um, all in all, though, I am a little bit – actually, excuse me, I'm not – I'm sorry, my brain's cooked. Um, what I'm trying to say is it was uh, pretty impressive for me to see Ole Miss's defense, who, you know, about two weeks ago got absolutely thrashed by Jaden Daniels and LSU. Um, you know, they responded to a pretty dang good quarterback in K.J. Jefferson pretty well. Uh, I mean, he did still throw for 250 yards and two tutties, but at the same time, uh, they were able to limit that Arkansas offense to only 20 total points. Um, So a little bit of a different kind of look or a little bit of a different expectation or different outcome than my expectations going into this game. But all in all, a good game for Ole Miss. And um, yeah, if you're an Arkansas fan now, you're two and four and 0 and three in the conference. 
Um, Colton, if you don't mind me asking, do you think this very well could be the uh, Sam Pittman farewell tour? I feel like he's going to get another year just because that 2021 year where they only won eight games, but they beat Texas and A&M and they were pretty competitive. So I feel like they're going to give him another year. Just I know that he also just switched coordinators, but yeah, things are going downhill there pretty fast, which is a bit surprising because I thought there was a lot to like from Arkansas two years ago and they still have KJ Jefferson. They still have Rocket Sanders and it just doesn't, it's not working there for Arkansas at all. Okay, that's interesting. You- um, so I, I I agree with you. I think they will probably give him one more year, especially you know since they had one of their better seasons in the past decade, uh, just two years ago with the same head coach. Um, you you know you might as well give him one more year, see if he can truly um, bottle that magic, say one more time. But you know if Arkansas next year goes, you know five and seven or so on and so forth. Um, yeah, he, he's gone. And that sucks, too, because I'm as much as I don't like Arkansas as an Aggie, I really do like Sam Pittman. I think he's I think he just seems like a really great guy, and I, I think he's a good personality for college football. So I, I would love to see him succeed, but um, he just hasn't really been able to do that except for one year. It was kind of an outside-the-box hire. They hired an offensive line coach. He was a great one in Georgia. So I kind of like it, but, yeah, I wish he would. I mean, I don't – Arkansas fans hate Texas. I really don't care that much about Arkansas, so I wouldn't mind to see them being pretty good. But I wonder – you said if he goes 5-7. and seven, What if he goes 5-7 and seven, but they beat UT and a He definitely has a – that's, that's, a, that's a really good point, and that certainly is a possibility. Um, man, I, I don't really know. I think he might keep his job if he – if they went 5-7, yeah. but they beat a in Texas, I think that – yeah. Well, at the same time, though, if they also drop some like early scheduled non-conference games, like how they did this past year to BYU, um, you know, say they do that once or twice next year, then that might truly be um, the nail in the coffin for them. But yeah. I, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully I don't get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about OU taking down Texas 34 to 30. I'll put my hand up. I was very wrong about this game. And I will say, I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong, which I was extremely wrong, but I don't think that any of my takes were necessarily, I guess, super crazy. And I had watched games, so me saying that I thought Texas had a big advantage on the line of scrimmage and that OU struggled to to sustain drives was things that I'd seen from the first five games. But yeah, Red River's crazy, and shout out to Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. They had incredible game plans, and... They made big plays. Texas didn't. I mean, pretty much every big moment when OU needed a, a big play, they made it. And I think OU was a better team, straight up. I think as much as you can say that Texas could have won that game without three turnovers and a goal line stand, OU could have easily blown out Texas. They had a drop touchdown pass. Drake, um, sorry, Dylan Gabriel missed some easy out routes. would have been conversions. And OU had a punt block. So I think that can kind of go both ways. But yeah, from the OU side of it, they did a great job of going tempo and going side to side. And really neutralizing this strong Texas defensive front. Gabriel was never really under that much pressure. And while he was very good in the passing game, I thought he still left a lot to be desired. But even without an OU strong run game from their backs, Gabriel was fantastic running for for over 100 yards on the ground. And pretty much was OU's only source of running. But yeah, I mean, OU made pretty much everybody play defensively. They were able to sack Quinn Ewers five times and they played pretty aggressive. Yours' first pick I thought was pretty bad, but the other two turnovers were just great plays by the defense. And, yeah, I mean, they just kind of had Texas for quite a while. I think by the time Longhorns figured it out, it was a little bit too late. And clearly that fourth and goal stop, that goal line sand, was a pretty defining moment in that game. And I think it's going to be a pretty legendary moment in Sooner history. For the Texas side of things, I think you got to look at injuries. Connor Robertson having to fill in at center was a big problem considering that he's their third string center. So that was a bit of an issue for the Longhorns. JT Sanders was probably about 50% and losing Ryan Watts before the game and Jalen Catalan was not helpful for the secondary, but I just thought Texas played a little too passive on defense. I didn't like the game plan. All American linebacker Jalen Ford picked a very bad time to have his worst game of the year. And yeah, look, I mean, Red River is about turnovers, crazy plays, and the Longhorns run the ball over three times. Outside of that, I thought Quinn Ewers was phenomenal, and I would have liked to see 
Texas be a bit more aggressive on that last possession, try and go for it instead of a field goal. But I understand the rationale there. Overall, a minute 17 left, your defense needs to get a stop, and Gabriel executes a fantastic five-play 75-yard drive for a touchdown. So credit to the Sooners, all respect to them. They deserve to win, and the better team won for the Longhorns. Still a lot to like, but at the end of the day, we've talked about the red zone problems, and the Longhorns this year have been in the red zone 24 times and have only scored touchdowns on 11 of those possessions. So they really have to clean that up. And we said as much as with all these big plays that OU made, they can go both ways, but if Texas makes plays in the red zone, they probably win this game. So, yeah, I mean, still a lot to like for Texas. You hope you can heal up after the bye week and have a manageable rest of the season kind of a manageable second half of the year schedule it looks like but look i don't think it's a lock that texas makes a big 12 championship or that they go into it 11 and 1 i think that if you don't score in the red zone you're getting three instead of seven you definitely have a chance to get upset so we'll see long ones have to pick themselves up and bounce back so yeah this game absolute mayhem as as red river always is as it should be um, before I give my thoughts, Colton, how was Dallas? How was the state fair? Did you have a good time? Uh, have, have fair food. Did you have, a, oh, did you have a corn dog? I remember I was asking about that last time. Did you have a corn dog? I did not get a corn dog, but the state fair is, is awesome. It's a lot of fun. I mean, like you said, Red River having all the, just being mayhem. There are so many crazy plays and it's an emotional roller coaster. And it's, it's, I mean, there's even crazy stuff that happened in this game. I mean, Texas first touchdown, a block punt that bounced right into our defender's arms. That doesn't really happen. And yeah, this, and there were, there's fake punts. There was wildcat throws. There was a lot going on, but yeah, great atmosphere. The state fair. It's awesome. I didn't really indulge in any crazy fried foods. Had some nice margaritas, a daiquiri, the bloody Mary's there look disgusting. Um, but yeah, honestly, my only issue with the state fair is that, especially because every time I go, Texas loses, except for last year, is that getting out of the state fair is a mess. There's so many people. No one really is walking. It's kind of a big crowd. But other than that, I mean, state fair is awesome. I get chills thinking about it. I love going to that place. So I would like a better result for the Longhorns most of the time, but I'm never going to complain about the Cotton Bowl. It's a great time. So I will say that I'm a little bit disappointed. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter or not, but the state fair this year was serving up fried fireball shots and you, you weren't able to sneak one of those oh, yeah. in before. I also had fried bourbon shots. Did you have one? I didn't. Man. Because that's crushing. one, I couldn't really find them. And two, I've had fried Coke before and I, and I didn't like it. I don't know. A fried drink just. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, something you I feel like, it, I feel like if it's like a fried shot or like fried alcohol or anything, it probably might go down a little bit easier than just say something not as fun as soda, but this is my two cents worth. Um, Anyways, going back to this game, um, as I was saying, absolute mayhem. Um, but that's what I'm here for. I, I absolutely love watching games like this where you have truly no idea, uh, you know, if there's any favorite in this game. It always just goes back and forth. That true seesaw uh, college football game is what I absolutely live for. Um, anyways, it was a. I thought um, Quinn Ewers he had he had a little bit of a slow start. You know, with those two interceptions. Um, but once he, I feel, I, I, I feel like once he kind of got those jitters out of his system, kind of calmed his nerves a little bit. Once he settled in, he was absolutely lights out. Um, no question. The dude was slinging the rock all over the field, making throws, so on and so forth. As for Oklahoma, I could say the same for the most part about Dylan Gabriel feels like, um, certainly didn't have as, um, I guess statistically crazy game as Quinn Ewers did. But at the same time, you know, whenever uh, Oklahoma needed a big play, it felt like Dylan Gabriel um, was able to get that as a result. Um, as for Texas, you know, they it's their first loss of the season, first conference loss. Um, you know, they have proven up to this point that they are still absolutely no doubts about it. One of the one of the if not the best overall team in the Big Twelve. So if I were a Texas fan, student, etc. You know, this one stings a little bit, especially with it being a rival. But at the end of the day, I, I think the Horns will be just fine going forward into the season. Um, of course, you have a few um, upset chances, as Colton was saying. Most notably, at least in my mind, the game that sticks out would be the Kansas State game. Um, but as if they get by Kansas State, as I expect them to, um, yeah, I, I truly think that the Longhorns will be just fine. As for Oklahoma, they are still undefeated. Um both as, of course, um, overall and in conference. 
Um, they got a lot of momentum right now in Norman, and it seems like Brent Venables, he finally actually has a bit of offense, which is kind of strange, it feels like. Um, but anyways, cr- absolutely crazy game. Um, as Colton was saying, um, you know, Dylan Gabriel, he stepped up when he absolutely needed to the most uh, at the very end of the fourth quarter to ultimately pull off the win 34-30 over Texas. Um Man, I I know I'm an Aggie and I don't have I have little to any say at all in this game, but just as a college football fan, this is definitely one of the games I look forward to every year, even though it's against two teams that I don't really like at all. Um I just love watching this game at the at the Cotton Bowl the State Fair every year. Yeah, I'm really hoping obviously because I'm a Texas fan and I want to play for the conference championship, but I think I think any college football fan wants to see a rematch because any Texas OU game is going to be nuts. And yeah, I'm excited for it. You mentioned Kansas State. They fell to Oklahoma State, which is night game in Stillwater, no joke. But K State is struggling right now. And yeah, I don't know. Texas, like we mentioned, if right now they have still a really good resume because Wyoming should is probably the favorite to land the New Year's 6G5 spot. Kansas is 5 and 1. So. Still a lot there for Texas if they can win out and events they lost to Oklahoma, who will probably be 12 and 0. They can still find themselves in position to make the playoffs. But yeah, the Longhorns have a lot to clean up. I don't think they can just waltz into the Big 12 championship at all or just 11 and 1 without fixing their red zone issues. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, all right, if you don't mind, may I jump into uh, the game I was at this past weekend? Go for it. All right, so Alabama over AM, and 26-20. God, as an Aggie, this one was just crushing. Um, you know, as uh, the, the, the week prior uh, to this game on Saturday was absolutely crazy. Um, we all knew the expectations for this game were sky high. Um as the outright winner of this game would have the uh, the clear number one number one spot in the SEC West, so there was an absolute ton of stakes online here. And ultimately, like always, Nick Saban and Alabama got the job done. And so for a m you know that first half they came out, they looked pretty good for the most part. That D line and that defense um, looked very good, especially the run game and that and that uh, D line up front. However, the one problem that has plagued AM all year has been their really weak and lack of good secondary play. And once again, that came back to bite the Aggies in the butt in this game. Um, it felt like we made Jalen Murrow look like a Heisman candidate quarterback. He threw for over 300 yards in this game, which I believe was the first time he's done that all season. Um, and if I remember correctly, there were very little times where Milrow actually escaped the pocket more for um, – I guess for like a QB scramble. I mean, there were times where he was trying to get out of the pocket, but he ultimately was brought down to the ground. So um, as for that, the linebackers for AM and D and D line looked great. They played awesome, uh, but that secondary got absolutely cooked over and over and over again. And that's really painful to watch. As for Alabama, as I mentioned, Jalen Morrow, he threw for over 300 yards this game. Uh, huge come out party for him, at least in the air. Um, we all knew that he pretty much that he had this potential and it was, you know, as a fan of college football, it's pretty nice to see that. Um, he still made some pretty boneheaded decisions, I would say, um, especially on their first on Bama's first drive in the third quarter. Um, you know, AM had a 17 10 lead at half and a lot of momentum, especially the 108,000 Aggies in Kyle Field. Um, there was a lot of momentum in AM's favor and he definitely defeated the AM momentum for the time being, at least um, on their first drive, as he threw a pretty obvious pick to AM's free safety, Bryce Anderson, over the middle. But luckily for him, his defense bailed him out two plays later as Max Johnson gave the ball right back on his own interception. Um, but, anyways, aside from that pretty boneheaded play, uh, he played a pretty, I wouldn't say pretty, he played a dang good game, um, managed the. Uh, Managed the offense well, took care of the football for the most part. And um, shout out to Jermaine Burton for Bama. He had nine receptions for 197 yards and two touchdowns. The dude played absolutely lights out himself. 
Um, and I'm sure there was probably a little bit of inspiration for him behind this game just because uh, I saw on AM Twitter and kind of AM social media, there was a, a thing circulating about how he made a comment or two about he was kind of hitting on an AM student and his Snapchats or text or Twitter, whatever the heck it was, got leaked on an AM social media. And we had an absolute field day for that. And he ultimately paid us back by torching us for almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. So uh, good for you, Jermaine Burton. As an Aggie, that sucks. But I understand probably why you had a little bit more uh, a little bit more emphasis behind this game. Um, ultimately, for AM, and uh, this feels like an absolute gut punch, especially with the way Jimbo mismanaged the game um, down the stretch. Colton, I don't know if you remember or not or if you saw this. Um, it was fourth and one. It was, it actually was pretty much like fourth and inches. Like it was less than a yard or something, right? Something like that. It was like fourth and one, like a little bit less than a yard. Jimbo calls timeout. Everyone's like, Oh, we're going to go for it. We're feeling good. We need to have six here. And right out of the timeout, he sends out the field goal unit and everyone was just completely deflated. The entire stadium was like, are you kidding me? And just absolutely crushing. Um, I don't really know what else to say about that. It was just absolutely horrendous to watch. Was was that the Snapchat thing you're talking about? Yeah, I think it was something um, he sent was like he a Snapchat or two after meetings or something. Yeah, he was he was uh, in was the Isaiah meeting Bond. and he was it Isaiah Bond? It oh, it was Isaiah Bond. Bond. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Well, I, I I apologize for that. Either way, I knew it was either whoever it was. I knew that they absolutely popped off against us. Um, God, just why, why, why did we have to, why did we just, why did we have to do that? You know, like why, why did we have to give him any more inspiration for this game? Yeah, um, I'll, uh, I'll touch on it as well. Yeah, please do. Yeah, I thought this was a really good game, but I was really impressed with Jalen Milrow. I think that he has improved greatly since the AM game last year and since the Texas game week two. And, yeah, it became pretty clear that Alabama knew that they were not going to be able to run the ball on this AM front. And so they let Milro air it out. And besides his pick, he was really good. He throws a beautiful deep ball. And yeah, Jermaine Burton was fantastic. So yeah, credit to Milro and this Alabama defensive line ultimately kind of pushed over this AM line that's had some struggles. But yeah, in the end, I, I think we were all concerned about AM secondary, and I think we were pretty right about that one. And Bama just kind of went after all night. Was it DeBerry they kind of kept picking on? And yeah, it was DeBerry. Yeah, they just kind of kept going at him, and Burden had, like you said, over or almost 200 yards. And, yeah, the safety at the end. And then that play where Jason McClellan was able to get his knee up was – pretty incredible. I was surprised Milro even threw it. I thought he was going to take the sack. And I think Milro would still drive me nuts as a coach and a fan, but you can tell that who knows by this time next year, he could be a really awesome quarterback. And I think we both like Jalen Milro. So I know you didn't want to see it against your team, but it's cool to see him improve a lot. And yeah, honestly, throughout the second half, I kind of just felt like Bam was the better team to me. It, it didn't feel like AM was going to win. And but yeah, I agree with you with Jimbo electing to not go for it on fourth down. I mean, in a game like that with your home crowd, you can't play scared. You've got to go all out. And your team and crowd kind of kind of feeds off of that. And so, yeah, I was a bit surprised to see that. But yeah. Well, there was a time um, – sorry to interrupt, yeah. but kind of touching on that a little bit. I remember you told me that you watched the second half of this game because you were getting home from your game. Um, on AM's first drive of the game, we had the ball in Alabama territory, I believe, at like maybe their 30 or like 28, something like that. So definitely um, pretty deep into their territory, but um, definitely deep in their territory, but not, um, you know, close enough where you, where you feel like you could, um, excuse me, definitely deep in their territory, but not the red zone. Sorry. Um, anyways, and it was once again, kind of fourth and one, kind of fourth and inches, whatnot. And Jimbo elected to – he elected to go for it and hand the ball off up the middle. And ultimately, uh, Le'Veon Moss got stuffed for a loss on that, turnover on downs, and that kind of set the tone for that a little bit. So I think that may have been a contributing factor into Jimbo um, playing that a little bit more conservatively, conservatively, especially down the stretch. Yeah, maybe just, just kind of spooked him a bit. Anaya Smith is a stud. I love watching him play. That last touchdown was called back. That was still pretty cool the way he tipped up the sideline and dove in. 
And yeah. yeah, this Alabama defense is really good. That Caleb Downs pick was pretty incredible play. And for Bama, I feel like they're going to drop another game, but look, they're in position to go 11-1 and and play for a spot in the playoffs. So, yeah, and that's that's kind of crazy because after that Texas game, you know, um, everyone was, including myself, and I believe even you were saying this a little bit, that Alabama is just not the Alabama that we once knew and love and what we all come to expect from them. Um, but at the same time, Nick Saban, he's inevitable. And Alabama, they're they're inevitable. And as long as Nick Saban is on that sideline at Tuscaloosa coaching the home team, they are never truly out of any game, feels like. And the crazy thing with Alabama, and I don't think that any of us thought that Bama was going to go 8-4 like this year or 7-5, and five, but, I mean, it was definitely clear to see that there were kind of cracks there in the dynasty, but – it's a dynasty, and we were saying that coming off an 11-2 and two year, which I think either of us would be pretty happy if our team's down years were 11-2. and two. So, I'd be over the moon if that was a down yeah. year. And look, Bama has LSU at home and pretty manageable rest of the road. So yeah, they have a chance to get back into the thick of the national championship race. Let's look at USC over Arizona, 43-41 to in triple overtime. Man, we talked about how... We could not take USC seriously because of their defense. Also because their offensive line now, I've realized their right tackle is not good. And yeah, Arizona was up 17 to nothing. To USC's credit, they fought back and their defense played a lot better in regulation, not so much in overtime. But yeah, Arizona had Noah Fafita starting. The freshman, Jane Dolores, has been out and he's actually been really good. They had a pretty tight game with Washington the week before, gave him a good fight, only losing by seven. And they could have had this one against USC. Caleb Williams and his heroics were able to pull it out. But if Arizona, really the key thing for me is that USC got the ball first in overtime, scored a touchdown, made the extra point. Arizona scores, and they don't go for two. And look, hindsight's twenty twenty, but in that moment, I feel like you do not want to go into basically a two-point conversion shootout with Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. Why not just end the game there? And ultimately, they did not do that. And USC was able to hang on 43-41. to 41. But yeah, if you're Arizona, I think you're kind of kicking yourself there. Dead Fish has done a great job making them competitive already. But that's a game that they really could have had in the Cauley. And yeah, I would have gone for two there. Yeah, especially against USC in the Coliseum. Just hell with it. Why not, you know? I mean, people were doubting you going into that game anyways. You might as well just, just say hell with it. But um, anyways, as kind of touching on what you just said a, mi- a moment ago, um, man, this USC defense is just non-existent, are they? They just, they just aren't a thing. They're not. Um, and that's so sad because if USC just had, I would just say, run in the middle or just average defense, this team could be so much better. I mean, I say that like they're not undefeated and undefeated like, at all. Um, not for long. No, I th- this this can only continue for so long, um, but as as for USC, you know Caleb Williams. I mean, he's one of the best players in the country for a reason. And you know, even though when he go into triple overtime against an unranked Arizona team, you know he still finds ways to pull out wins. And so, um, as long as Caleb Williams is running the show and um, in LA, then you know USC's got a chance in pretty much every game. Um, but that defense, man, I just, I, I don't even know what to say about him anymore. Yeah. I kind of dogged on him a little bit the past few episodes and just pretty much ever since you and I first started the show and started the season, I've always kind of had, had my doubts about their defense, but I don't, I really don't have any words for them anymore. I just don't see how Oregon or you or Oregon or Washington doesn't beat them because unless Caleb scores every possession, which he could, but he very well could. Um, yeah, no, it, it, I certainly believe, um, that USC will have two losses on the schedule after those games are played. No questions. I'm with you. And, uh, yeah, we'll touch on it real quick. Our, both of my locks of the week hit Kansas destroyed UCF and Michigan destroyed Minnesota. Will had a brutal loss there. He had the Missouri cover and then a late pick six. that didn't mean really anything because major burns could have just, Neil down, which Brian Kelly was apparently pretty upset about. That would have gotten Will's cover, his lock of the week. But ultimately, the gambling gods were not upon Will Schmansky. 
Yeah, that was an absolute gut punch. Gut punch. Um, I had two locks of the week. Both of them missed, as Colton was saying. That one for me in Missouri was pretty much in the bag all the way until the absolute very end of the game. And that one was certainly the most crushing. My other lock of the week was Notre Dame. And, well, I don't really have much to say about that. They just got absolutely punched in the mouth. Um, so with that being said, can we just, can we move on from that so I can recover? Yeah. Let's talk about some other ACC things, man. Well, give me your thoughts on Miami blowing that game to Georgia tech, but Miami didn't blow it. Mario Cristobal blew it. First off, shout out to Aggie legend, Aggie legend, Haynes King for leading the charge in that comeback with, you know, less than a minute left on the clock and he was able to pull out the win. Um, as for Mario Cristobal, what are you doing? Like, actually, what are you doing? After watching that play, I'm convinced he has the IQ like an orangutan or something like that. Like, you know, it, it, it makes no sense why you would want to run the ball in that scenario. The game's already in the bag. If you just take a knee, there's no question. You move on, you get the win. You're already looking forward to next week. Um, but for whatever reason, that's not what he opted to do. And ultimately, it ended up costing you the game. And I don't know just how much truth there is to this because I haven't watched – back when he was at Oregon, I didn't watch many – Pac-12 games like that, but um, supposedly I saw this on Twitter. Um, he, it, that's just his thing to not take a knee to kneel out the clock. He just likes to play literally the entire sixty minutes of the game, no matter what the score is. Um, the one thing which I'll is, say, not to interrupt, the one thing I'll say on the Oregon thing real quick was that in that scenario, CJ Verdell running for a first down actually had some meaning. Like they couldn't have fully ran out the clock, but yeah. Against this one, yeah, they could have taken a knee. Yeah, I, I just, at the end of the day, you know, Miami, clearly they're having one of their better years they've had in recent memory. And just for you to take a crush at your, I believe it was their first loss of the season too? Yeah, to, to take your first loss of the season in this fashion is just, it's heartbreaking. And it's crushing, especially if you're a Miami fan. Um, anyways, as for Georgia Tech, though, great win. Uh, as I said, shout out Haynes King, the legend who led the charge in that comeback. Um, but I just, I don't, I just, I would love to know his thought process. And, you know, I'm really interested to see how his interviews go this week when we all know he's going to get absolutely grilled over this decision. Yeah, I don't think it's prisoner of the moment to say that that was one of the dumbest, if not dumbest, coaching decisions I've ever seen. And, I saw Charlie Strong mess up a coin toss where Texas kicked off to start both halves. This was – it's it's unfathomable. I don't understand how you make that mistake. He literally just gave away a win. I don't know how no one knows. I know there's a video of one of the assistants telling him to call timeout or go take a knee. I don't understand how no one realized this. And I think I saw Cristobal say in the postgame press conference – that he should have called a timeout to get them in victory formation. I don't think you need to call a timeout to tell your quarterback to take a knee or to get in that formation. All you do is just have two guys line up behind the quarterback and maybe have a third if you're worried about a bad snap and just take a knee. So, yeah, this was – I mean, look, you can say that the running back shouldn't have fumbled, but he shouldn't have been put in that position. You can say that the safety shouldn't have blown the coverage, but George Jack never should have had the ball. So, yeah, I don't – that is – it's incredible how stupid that was. And yeah, like you said, they were, they were undefeated and they have a big game against North Carolina. That could have been a game to send them to what, six and oh next week. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's Georgia tech's not a good team. But yeah. Shout out to Haynes King that they got it done and to capitalize on that really stupid mistake. But yeah, that's, that's a fireable offense. If Chris was, if I wasn't so and I still think he's doing a fine job. He's a great program builder great recruiter, but I think we've all known he's not a good game day coach, and that was so stupid. Yeah, there's a – you know, he can say whatever he wants through in his in his interviews or, you know, the post-game press conference or his his weekly interviews that he has this uh, this week. Um, there's just no way to explain that. There, that's just inexcusable. That shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't think anyone – not even Mario Cristobal will probably have a solid answer as to why that that was um, the play that they called in that scenario for quite some time. Yeah, definitely not with you. That is just an awful way to lose a game. Yeah. All right. Well, we obviously just covered just about every single major game. 
from this past weekend. Colton, if you don't mind, I think it's time I give you the floor for a moment and explain your maybe potential career in coaching and what you saw tonight from uh, one of your roommates who absolutely balled out apparently um, in their intramural soccer game. So Colton, what'd you see and how do you feel about coaching going forward? Yeah, so today I went to the UT intramural fields. I watched my roommate, Sardi, shout out Sardi. He is his soccer team, Double Clutch, who they're on a pretty good upward trajectory there. Freshman year, they lost in the quarterfinals this year, or sorry, last year in the semifinals. And now this year, they're looking to make a championship push. Yeah, this was their first game of the year tonight, and they were pretty dominant. Shout out to, who's the guy's name? Stone. He was insane. He had four of the six goals. So I don't know what you call four goals. I know three's a hat trick. I don't know what four is, but he had that. And yeah, I like what I saw. They were pretty aggressive. They were fast running to the ball. I don't know anything about soccer, but I liked what I saw there. And yeah, looking at double clutch to make a pretty big run here. I will say the UT intramural refs are completely unserious. A big 12-level crew out there. And yeah, I thought I was going to get tossed. In a closer game, I might get tossed. But yeah, so that's one side of intramural. On the other side, I'm not going to put too much out there for contractual reasons, but there are rumors that I might be in the running to coach a intramural flag football team. So that does come to fruition. I want a pretty big contract, and I will be scheming up every other coach at this university. And I expect nothing less than a flag football championship at the end of the season. So I will keep you guys updated on this newest endeavor in my life. So, Colton, I have to ask, if you hypothetically were to take this head coaching job for the intramural flag football team, um, how would you game prep every week? I mean, obviously, there's little to no film, any knowledge about the other team at all. Um, you know, I guess, how would you prepare for each team throughout the weeks? And where would you what what is your main source of play design? Like, would you get the would you get them from Madden or from, you know, watching games on on TV or where uh, where would you pull your inspiration from as an offensive coordinator? Great question. So I do think there are cameras at the intramural field, so I'll find a way to get that footage and just watch it all day long. I have pretty good screen set up here. I have about three in my room right now, but three TVs slash monitors. So we can have a bunch of games on, doing some heavy scouting. And yeah, I think four verticals is definitely one play that we're going to use quite a lot. But yeah, I think we're going to take a little bit from what I see on Saturdays. I like a lot of the motion that Sark uses from, from time to time. I want to kind of do some of that. A little bit of trickery could be fun. And I'm not going to give away too much, but... I'm liking a little bit of spread action mixed with some power. Okay, that's interesting. Um, just don't forget, though, if you call four verticals, you got to send the halfback in the backfield on a wheel up the sideline. It works every time. Yeah, you, we have to slide the protection to the okay. right, and then you roll out, and you fling it. You know, Colton, I think he'd really set the tone if he came out um, first drive, right? Say you're down like third and one or fourth and one, you choose to go for it. You got to go for like that Philadelphia Eagles style, like brotherly shove they got going and flag football. I know you're probably thinking I'm crazy, but I really think that'd set the tone in that game going forward. It'd probably be pretty tough for them to even grab the flag. So, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, just have everyone all line up, literally just directly over the football and just. Just QB sneak it, man. We'll see what happens. I mean, look, I don't know if anyone's ever used motions in a flag football in a real game, but I will be using a lot of motion and pre-stop movement. You definitely should. And, you know, I think he, you could easily get a lot of, um, especially at this level of flag football, you probably get a lot of offside calls or, you know, on four verticals. I would expect nothing but, you know, if you call that five plays a game, I would expect nothing less than at least three pass interferences on, on the play. Um so, yeah, I, I think you um, if you implement that in your game plan, you might have quite a bit of success. We're going to have hard counts, too. I mean, I'm not messing around. This is going to be – look, like year one, we might have a little bit of – I'm going to try and adjust my game plan and my player strengths, but I need to get my system in place. Exactly. you gotta, you got to just establish dominance. And um, So I also have to ask, um, you know how college football teams and programs have like a few – uh, core value terms, you know, AMs is toughness, effort, discipline, pride, and grit. What uh, do you have any terms that come to mind for you to, uh, you know, implement into your program? Win. That's it. Just win. It's all that matters. That's a good point. You can have them slap like a win bar or something like LSU. 
I was thinking about having Bevo run across the field like Colorado has Ralphie do that. That would be pretty fun. So you could, you could, you. I mean, you would definitely be, without a doubt, the best coach on campus if you could if you could pull that off. Well, like no disrespect to any other coach on campus, but if you could get Bevo to run across the field like Ralphie, like yeah, you just you establish yourself as the best coach on campus. It'll get the crowd pretty pretty amped up. So I, I bet the I bet the recruits would like that too. Oh, look, I mean, I'm already scouting eighth graders. Eighth graders? I got to keep the pipeline going. Yeah, I don't blame you. That'd be really impressive. Looking for my next um, one. Yeah, I'm pulling for you. Um, are you going to be able to keep stats in that in that game at all? Like, uh, you know, completions, total yards, touchdowns, picks, things like that, like defense numbers too? I mean, I'm an analytics guy, so we, I mean, we better be allowed to. If not, I'll just hire someone to go do all that for me. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, oh I'm gosh. all about I'm all about the plays, man. I'm all about the wins. I'm I'm about scheming up teams. I'm ready to do it. You should. Well, I'll just tell you this right now. If you need an assistant for uh, offensive play calls, or if you need some assistance on that at all, I'm more than happy to help you for however I can. Yeah, if I ever need to take a knee, you can be the one to tell me so I don't hand the ball off and fumble. Yeah, for sure. I'll uh, I'll like Facetime you like right before, like right at the end of the game, and be like, you you can just ask me if you need to take a knee or not. I'll let you know. You can be the guy, the one that you know, the guy that always holds back the coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need you to do that for me. Okay. Well, Colton, I, I'll just say this: if I don't see you on the sidelines of that game, like screaming your absolute ass off at a ref over like a bad call or anything like that, I might be a little concerned in your coaching style. Look, I'm going to be pretty fiery. Like I mentioned, the officiating staff that I saw tonight, even in a soccer game, was just not good. And I don't know anything about soccer, so we definitely need to step it up and hire some better refs. You definitely should, especially if your models win. I mean, you got to have good referees, right? Yeah, and if we lose, I'm going to blame the refs. Completely. As always. I'm going to As you high. should. As you should. Um... I think that'll just about do it for us then. Do you have anything else you want to say before we close out? I think that's about it. If anyone wants to offer me a pretty big contract, I would happily accept. I mean, you are already part-time owner of the Green Bay Packers, so I'm sure you could probably get something going up there. Yeah, I want to mention the Packers real quick. I am an owner of the Packers, so I hold some pretty big power here. I am disgusted by last night's performance, and yeah, I'll be holding a press conference at the UT Tower tomorrow for anyone who like to join but yeah i'm gonna make some pretty profound statements there and i'm not happy with the direction of this team right now i mean your quarterback did you just you replaced aaron Rodgers with jordan love and you know he came out last night and threw three picks so that's not really looking too hot yeah but we might just trade for mahomes i'll see what i can do i'll make some calls that's a good point you could probably you could probably fleece the chiefs or get a good deal out of that i mean come on what do they have on me i'm an owner <laughs> All right, anyways, that will just about do it for us. Um, thank you very much for listening. I know that this was a very hectic week, and I apologize for my microphone quality, but as rest assured, for our next episode coming out later this week, it, we will all be back to normal, at least on my end. Um, but anyways, thank you all very much for listening. We really much appreciate it. And if you have any suggestions, questions, anything like that at all, anything you want to take a look at or comment on in the show, you know where to find us. Um, please don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much for listening. We will talk to you um, probably about 48 hours or so, I believe, is when our next episode will come out. So thanks very much, and we will see you all then. Thank you all.